the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. And sometimes a little bit about my personal life as well. I do mixed in. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. I think the big story today has to be on Wall Street. The uncomfort and the unease about the jobless numbers in the United States. 10.2% unemployment. Jump from 9.8% to 10.2%. We're double digits across the nation. Dow's up. NASDAQ's up. SP 500's up. Why are the Dow, NASDAQ, and SP all up? Because they're thinking six months from now, corporate America is either going to be really profitable because Wall Street actually likes unemployment, especially when we see good productivity numbers that we got yesterday. But now down the road, there's going to be you know hell to pay. There's going to be damnation because we need those people who are unemployed to be employed so that they can pay their bills and go out and consume, be consumers. It's kind of a weird yin and yang game that we play. But for now, Wall Street's content. Dow's above 10,000. Life is good. Unemployment above 10%. That's a big number. That is a big number for a lot of people. And um, it's going to be a big political number. Obama has to do everything he can to get the economy creating jobs, hopefully, for the Democrats by June, July, August, September, October. If not, a lot of Republicans are going to get voted in in this coming election year. Because 10% is high. You know, it's high. It's bad statistics. So, and with the hourly work week, it's not expanding at this point in time. So I don't see any jobless jobs being created for quite some time. Healthcare added 45,000 jobs. Professional and business services, 18,000. Government was flat. But job losses were seen in every other main category, ultimately except for education and healthcare. So it's a pretty hardcore number. Labor market's very weak. Individuals counted officially as being unemployed, 10.2%. People who have been unemployed for over 27 weeks, out of the unemployed, 35% of them have been unemployed for over 27 weeks. You do the math there. What's that? 28 divided by, that's seven months. Typically, they say you want to have an emergency fund of two to six months so you don't eat into your savings. Anyway. You get where I'm going at with this, I think. Gold hits $1,100 an ounce as the unemployment worsens. San Francisco hotel workers opened a three-day strike. I hit that in the first hour. I don't really think I need to hit it in the second hour. Here's an interesting one. GE, General Electric, the general. Brokerage firm Oppenheimer today upgraded its rating for GE to outperform from perform as the conglomerate's financial portfolio is stabilizing. GE is a financial company. GE is a healthcare company. GE is an industrial company. They make jet engines. GE is many things. They've got hundreds and hundreds of profitable divisions. They've got long-term businesses, and they've got what's called long cycle and short cycle. 
So they're they're big. They're they're important to study. But commercial finance metrics indicate a potential easing of the rate of portfolio of quality deterioration. GE, for instance, does a lot of credit cards. GE also does a lot of financing of medical equipment that they'll sell. So GE kind of important. And for them to get an upgrade, that's a good thing. Motorola. Motorola, the droid. Droid lines around the country. Remember when Apple comes out with the iPhone? Nerds from around the world go to the Apple stores and camp out overnight so they can be the first ones to get their hands on the Apple 3GS phone. Like when Star Wars movies comes out. Nerds from around the world camp out overnight and dress up as Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia. Not a good look. Not a good look for most people. Well, for the droid phone with Verizon Wireless, did people from around the world get up in the middle of the night and head to the Verizon Wireless store? Turns out a couple people did. But the lines aren't that hot. They're not that sexy. Interesting to note, remember we keep talking about video on demand and getting video iTunes and we're consuming more video. And who's the winner there? Clearly Cisco. And the networks of companies like AT&T are being overburdened because we want more content through the data lines. The old-fashioned form of getting video, i.e. a DVD, it's getting cheaper. Walmart is slashing DVD prices to 10 bucks. Yay. Good. Who, who wants to pay $17, $20 for a movie? $10 is a little bit more right. It's a little bit more acceptable in this day and age. Star Trek, $10. Night at the Museum, $10. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, 10 bucks. Terminator Salvation, 10 bucks. Now, you know what this is going to do, don't you? Target's going to lower their prices, and uh, Amazon.com's going to lower their prices. Price war, me and you win. Hmm. Let's see what else we got. Price cuts are good for movie studios. They will spur demand in a year during which DVD sales are down more than 13% this year. Wholesale price paid by Walmart and its competitors remains unchanged at about 18 bucks, meaning studios will make the same profit on each disc. But what Walmart wants to do is get you your butt in the store. They know once you're in the store, you're going to get a soda that has a huge markup on it. They know once you're going to get in the store, they're going to get you on something else. Called a lost leader. So you can get the basic idea. Hmm. Banks. This was an interesting story in the Wall Street Journal this morning. Talked about banks. And it talked about how a federal rule to cap the interest paid by weak banks could accelerate their demise. So, for instance, right now, there's a bank in Florida that pays 1.62% on savings accounts. That's unheard of. The national average is less than one-fifth of 1%. They're paying a good eight times the national average. Why are they doing that? Because this mercantile bank corp is struggling so tough. Their commercial loans are going belly up. They need deposits. Your deposits save their life, saves their ass. A company is allowed to lend $30 for every dollar that they actually have. So your deposits continue to let them stay in business and not be shut down and not be taken over by the FDIC. So what does our government do? They say, well, we know these banks are, are they're, they're starting to uh, panic. So what they're doing is offering eight times the national rate on savings. So in our wisdom, we're like, okay, we got to cap that. I don't know about that. I it, Just 4% of the nation's 8,100 federally insured banks aren't well capitalized. Just 4% of the nation's. 
So the weaker banks are driving up the cost for the rest of the industry by offering these huge offers of interest on savings accounts. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting story in the Wall Street Journal. And it basically said, our government and our wisdom is going to shut these guys down, not help them shut them down. Pat Vitucci makes me sick. Um, Banks, 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 big, big brokerage firms, guys that got the federal bailout. Wall Street bankers, you already hate them, even though without them, we have no economy. California has no roads. California has no schools. But we hate investment bankers because we hate investment bankers. Goldman Sachs, Citigroup, JP Morgan Chase. They got H1N1 flu shots. And this is in the news today. And people are pissed off. Like, why did the big banks and brokers get the H1N1 flu shot? And my, my baby, my baby and this healthcare worker doesn't have it. Healthcare worker needs it to save their life. My baby needs it to save his life. So it's obscene that Wall Street bankers think that they're entitled to private shipments of H1N1 vaccinations while healthcare workers, pregnant women, and other at-risk Americans are either waiting in line for hours or getting turned away because of shortages. This according to Secretary Treasurer Anna Berger. Now, what's interesting to note about this is it's not abnormal for them to get flu shots. It would be wrong for a 35-year-old healthy male at Goldman Sachs to get a flu shot. But these companies do pay for vaccines to help vaccinate anyone that qualifies as high risk inside their company. So on one hand, nothing abnormal is going on. On another hand, we look at it and we, we get angry because we're a nation of finger pointers. Everyone's to blame but me. So we're angry at J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup, and Goldman Sachs. So, yeah. Employers and others have to sign a waiver saying that they won't take the dose before anyone else takes the dose. Why are we angry? Why are we such an angry nation? We are an angry nation. Two IPOs to talk about. Two IPOs to talk about. IPOs are called initial public offerings. And during the 1990s, you would sell your children to get money in front of an IPO. You would sell your car to put money in front of an IPO. Because we saw the success of Yahoo. We saw the success of Amazon.com. Now, two IPOs came out yesterday. Hyatt Hotels. Good day to come public when the market's up 200 plus points. So they they came back public. So if you want to own a piece of the Hyatt, you could become an owner. Now, it doesn't entitle you to a free room. It doesn't entitle you to go in and boss around employees. But it does entitle you to some of the profits the company is going to create. Now, we know Hyatt's okay. There's another IPO that came out that may or may not be. It's called Ancestry.com. And it's an online family history research firm, and they're out of Provo, Utah. And no one else does this. So they kind of have a monopoly on online, find out your ancestries. Your ancestries or ancestors? Ancestors. What's wrong with me? So yeah, maybe a little sexy IPO market. So Ancestry.com has been profitable for four years, and they've been increasing their revenues. You know, I have no interest in knowing my granddaddy's daddy, my great-great-granddaddy. My great-great-grandpappy, he came across on the, the Mayflower and, you know, he's buying and selling stocks. I don't, I don't care about that stuff. Not my interest. But for some people, there's some interest in that. Anyway, um, Sun Microsystems and Oracle. Sun Microsystems is being bought by Oracle, right? Now, some of us scratch our heads and go, what the hell is that all about? Like, Oracle's a big software company. Why are they buying this big hardware company? Out of the EU yesterday, the European Commission... They're going to decide in the next couple of days if they will let this merger go through or if it's anti-competitive. The dilemma right now has prompted speculation the best outcome would be for Oracle to drop its interest in buying Sun because the EU's outgoing 
Competition Commissioner, spent past weeks trying to get some sort of trying to goad Oracle's top executives into making some concessions, and Oracle's not making concessions at this point in time. So Oracle may cancel the deal. If Oracle cancels the deal, it's on microsystems. I don't think they go to zero, but they, they could go to zero. I think you would have to be very, very careful with that stock. In large part, people have stopped working with Sun Microsystems because they don't know if they're going to be in business in six years, nine, six months, nine months. So it, things have changed a little bit. Anyway, that's some of your business news and headlines. It's the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. Coming up, I'm going to talk to Dan Rusinowski about the San Jose Sharks. Bring on my special guest, as I'm always doing. Any phone calls that you have, bring them on, 800-345-5609. If you have a text question that you want to text in, jump on the 910 blog. It's talk910.com, talk910.com. Bring on the questions. Don't be shy. Rob at robblack.com. It's Rob Black Show, 910 a.m., more stimulating talk. This is Paul Katzif, co-founder of Thanksgiving Coffee Company, with a gift idea for you. I have an amazing Rwanda story. It includes the last 380 mountain gorillas, 2,000 Hutu and Tutsi fair trade coffee farmers, the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund, 100 bicycles, and an elegant coffee with dark chocolate and cherry notes. It's a coffee story about gorillas helping people and people helping gorillas. Buy online at thanksgivingcoffee.com. Not just a cup, but a just cup. The final four seconds of penalty time are ticking off on the clock. One more rush. Here's gets lap lead for Scott Niedermeyer. Breaks in. Penalty is over. A centering attempt just got blocked. And the Sharks have a two-on-one mini one. Here's Heatley out of the box. Export moving in. Gives him the play. Break away. Good. Shoot. Scores. Joe Thornton. Joining me now, Dan Rusinowski, the voice of the San Jose Sharks, heard here, not here, but on Clear Channel Station 98.5, 98.5. Dan, how are you? I'm doing great, Rob. Now, we lost last night, but we lost to Detroit. We lost in a shootout, so we snuck away with a point. I wanted to talk a little bit about Detroit, because you did a fascinating second-period interview with one of the voices of the Detroit Red Wings for many, 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 many years. But one thing that you're, you visualized, you said there was there used to be chicken wire that surrounded the stadium, like before there was plexiglass. And that got me thinking, Dan, this is a, a franchise that's been around since the Depression. That's right. And, uh, you know, they, that was when Olympia Stadium was built. And uh, when James Norris came in and started the Red Wings, basically bought a team called the Falcons and changed the name of the team. And uh, I was talking to Bud Lynch about that. Uh, that's the, the individual you talked mm-hmm. about. I mean, he's just an amazing man. He's 92 years old. Um, he had his arm blown off in World War II. And last week at the age of 92, he golfed a 91. So this guy's an amazing guy. That's a good story. But it- what happened during the Depression? Do you know anything about Depression-era hockey? Because there, there's six original teams. This is an old, old league. It's the oldest in North America. A lot of people don't realize how, how wonderfully storied the NHL is. Well, that's right. The Stanley Cup, first of all, is older than the NHL, Rob. That's what a lot of people aren't aware of. It goes back to the 1890s. But after the NHL was formed in 1917-18, you know, it it really had a lot of success. Um, Teams uh, started to uh, develop in in the United States. Uh, The New York Americans, first of all, at Madison Square Garden were so successful that the tenants of uh, the building, the owners of Madison Square Garden Corporation, decided to start their own team, the New York Rangers. And that was the team that survived after that. Um, But 
there were several teams that uh, that certainly started to get challenged back in the early 1930s because of the the effects of uh, more interventionism and, and obviously um, uh, you know the the changes in the financial system that resulted from the Great Depression. And so, therefore, during that time when there were a lot of people out of work, they weren't really exactly spending money uh, going to hockey games. So there was a team in Philadelphia, there was a team in Pittsburgh, there was a team in St. Louis. All of those teams ended up. Uh, folding and going away, but the uh, the teams that remained effectively through the depression were seven teams. In fact, there was one other team in Montreal, the the, uh, the English speaking team, the the Montreal Maroons, folded in the midst of the depression, and so that left only the Montreal Canadiens. The Maroons had a better building, so the Canadians moved into the Forum. That's why that's their home, because um, that part of Montreal is traditionally the English speaking section of the city. So it's kind of a fascinating history through the 30s, and of course, a lot of that is is weaved around. What happened right near the Chicago Board of Trade, where there was a trader named James Norris that was involved in grain trading, and he, you know that's just a fascinating story on the business side of, of the world of hockey because um, he ended up basically having a, a fully integrated firm where he owned the farms, he owned the railroad that, that that transported the grain, he was the guy that was making the market on the exchange in Chicago for, nice. for grain futures, and all of that at that time he was operating the National Hockey League effectively. Um, by owning the Detroit Red Wings and running the Olympia Stadium, but also uh, kind of through nominees running two other teams that, that, that nobody really knew about until many years later. So it's a fascinating part of uh, sort of the, uh, the wild, wild west era of the NHL. I think there should be some movies made about this stuff because, it, it's like I said, it's storied, Dan. Now, the, the Sharks are walking wounded. They've got Pavelski down, Setaguchi down, Blake down. It's better that it's happening at the early part of the season. Wouldn't you agree? I suppose so. I think that you know you never want to have injuries happen, but what what happens when they occur is that adversity happens, and the team needs that uh, to, in order to build itself into the diamond that it needs to become um, out of out of the season that they have in the playoffs. In other words, um, you, you know you start off with a bunch of carbon and you, you apply pressure, and the pressure results in the diamond, and the diamond is the beautiful thing. Well, if you if you, if you think about that from a hockey perspective, uh, the pressure comes from the early season challenges, some losses, some tough road trips, some injuries, how your team deals with all of those challenges. And then the diamond occurs and is formed during the playoffs when all of those things that you've learned about yourself and all of that pressure that you've dealt with uh, turns into the beautiful finished product of a Stanley Cup championship team. It, it's not quite that simple, but it's, it's an interesting way of looking at it. And, and that's how I look at it for the Sharks right now. Blake being down really hurts because he's the captain of the team. Um, he provides a lot of minutes in a very valuable position. So what's the pressure there? It's pressure on people like Mark Edward Vlasic and Douglas Murray, younger defensemen with less experience that need now to take some of those minutes um, that Blake normally would get and make the best use out of them. And that puts the pressure on guys like that. Dan Boyle, too, but he's going to get the minutes anyway. I'm looking at the, the, the players that, that really see the, the focus placed on them, especially defensively. And to me, that's the, that's the pressure that the Sharks players face right now. Okay, Dan, it's time for me to bring on my lovely and talented wife, Shelly. Shelly always wants to chime in. She's a big hockey fan. She doesn't miss a game. Shelly, you got Hi, Dan. Dan. Hi, Shelly. Great to talk with you again, and I want to first off just thank you for answering my female question last week about which shark would be the most likely to have their own celebrity cologne. You had a great answer. Well, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> 
So, um, but, you know, you were talking a little bit about the history, and, and basically I was curious in talking about Bud Lynch if you had a chance to um, personally congratulate him. I heard they gave bobbleheads out. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for my bobblehead to get shipped to me from the Red Wings. I've got to have one of those. But uh, I, I did, in fact, when I was on the air with him, we, we were talking for a little bit, and uh, he was just so reflective of of 60 years really of being on the air. If you think about it, um, you know, he doesn't do broadcasts anymore, but he was. Uh, you know, on the radio for all those years. Then he was on television at the same time. And then uh, after he retired, the, the Red Wings called him up and said, "Hey, uh, we want you to to stay and do, uh, uh, you know, do public address announcing." And he's been doing that. So uh, he's just an amazing man. And, and like I said, he knows just about everybody in the sport, which is really great. And it's good to see the respect and the accolades uh, thrown his way because he deserves it. So you talked a little bit about the adversity and pressure and how it's giving some of the team a chance to shine, and I guess especially in some cases the rookies, um, you know, out of last night's game with, I guess there was the, the coacher goal, which was basically an assist from Callahan, um, which that was the exciting part, I think, of last night's goal was that, you know, that the game and that one goal that they scored. And I'm curious, which of the rookies are we really watching as key players to our success? Well, I think that, that Couture is more a part of the, the more distant future than he is right now. He's just getting his first games in the NHL. Um, but, you know, you look at this team and it's really more of a veteran team. You've got, you know, you've got young guys that don't have a lot of experience on the club. But, but I'm looking at like second and third year pros and players like Setaguchi, um, people like Tori Mitchell, who hopefully will come back, uh, like Joe Pavelski, who's in, who's been in the league a few years, but not quite a grizzled veteran yet. Um, those are the players that are going to really be the complimentary players. Jamie McGinn is another one I think that probably has the most chance of the, the least experienced players to have a major, major impact. And let's not forget about the kid that we, you know, we started talking about at the beginning of the year, Jason Demers, because he does, he's not playing like a rookie. We don't even think of him as a rookie, and yet we have to remember that last night was his first game ever at Joe Louis Arena. So um, I always have to pinch myself and, and ask myself if I'm dreaming when I see this kid play because he's just so talented. And the pressure that we talked about earlier puts a lot of focus on him because he's going to be getting some quality ice and is going to be tested, and he certainly will have his moments when he doesn't uh, stand up, I, I would think, because of his inexperience. But, boy, I'll tell you what, he hasn't shown me that so far. Fun to watch. And I think, felt from last night's game, personally, I almost felt like it was our win. Um, I'm reminded about sort of how much this game has to do with the officials. And we couldn't really see the replay angle that well, but, um, you know, they were talking about how the referee kind of should have blown the whistle and then the game would have been 1-0. But it also takes me back to the Philadelphia Flyers game where that goal would have crossed um, on Boucher. And in the replay, we all saw that it, in fact, did. And I think my next question for you is how does the team or the franchise deal with bad calls? Well, uh, you really can't do that much publicly, certainly, because the officials have a very tough job. They have to be athletes as well as arbiters, and I think that's very unique for, for the hockey referee because they have to be able to skate and keep up with the play. I mean, it's not like they're umpires in baseball where they're stationary. The NFL has stationary plays. There's a little bit of running that goes on in that, but not nearly as much skating as, as occurs in the NHL. So uh, I, I think that that's an interesting scenario. 
Uh, behind the, the public uh, view, though, um, there's always evaluations of referees that take place. The coaches do it. The management does it. Um, and the league does it. They're very, very aware of it. And I think they've been very honest and proactive about dealing with some of those those problems and bad calls. But uh, bottom line is there's nothing much you can do about it once a decision has been made. That's sort of the system that's been put in place. And so you have to be more constructive and make sure that maybe you get, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, a make-up call with how you lobby those officials later. Um, in that particular case that you talked about, I described it on the radio as borderline but probably okay. Um, I, I thought that it was the right call to not blow the whistle. It was right on the border, but um, they didn't blow the whistle, and you got to credit Zetterberg for jumping in there because he didn't stop skating. And that's, that's what every player has to do, and that's a good lesson for all the Sharks players. Great answer. One of the other questions I had was um, just based on the Wooster Sharks, because, you know, going back to Callahan having been drafted and providing that great assist, um, how do we as fans sort of follow those players if they're becoming so important to our team? Well, I think it's a great question. You know something? It's pretty easy now in the age of the Internet to to follow the Worcester team. They have their own website. The American Hockey League has a website. And um, the radio station where where the Worcester Sharks has a a website, so you can listen to the games um, that they call on the air. Um, you know, Eric Lundquist does the play-by-play there and um, does PR for the team and just about everything else. That's what happens in the American Hockey League. And Roy Sommer is one of the unsung heroes of the, of the organization because of the way that he prepares these young guys to play the shark system and really have a seamless transition into the NHL when they get here. And I, I think that, that, as I said, with the age of the Internet, it's pretty easy to follow the scores and check the schedules and, and see how the guys are doing. And it, a lot of people don't do that, but I think they should because there's a, there's a great deal of value in what these guys are doing at the AHL level, and you have an idea of perhaps how they might uh, move into the NHL and, and do their job. And, and that's a big part of what Roy and his assistant coach, David Cunniff, are doing right now. Is that all you got, Shelley? That's it. Thanks. There goes Shelly. There she goes. Dan, one last question for you. You brought up Jason Demers, and I read an article that he's living in a hotel. He still hasn't become a San Jose Shark or a San Jose native. He's fearful maybe that he gets sent back down. Is he safe for me to pick up and put on my fantasy team? He probably is for the moment. I mean, he's passing every single test, and, and now that Rob Blake is injured, I'd say he's even safer than he was before. Um, but... Um, they have, they always want to make sure with these young kids. They always want to provide that little uncertainty, perhaps, um, so that that they don't slack off in their performance. And I, I think that that's part of what happens. I don't think he he'll be in the hotel all season, although that is a possibility. Um, but my guess is that, that that by the new year, I would suspect that they would probably tell him that, that he's pretty safe to get a place to live. Um, although he says he's enjoying downtown San Jose quite nicely, and it's an easy walk to the to the arena for games, and it's not very far to the practice rink for practice. So um, I think he's integrating himself into the community just fine. But shouldn't he be living with someone like a Joe Thornton, kind of that hockey tradition of the, the rookie being taken in by the veteran? There's some of that going on, and, and it has occurred with the Sharks over the years. I remember Patrick Marlowe lived with Kelly Rudy, for instance, when he was 18 years of age. That's cool. But uh, you know what? This is, this is not really a billet situation like is the case in junior. When I, what I mean by that is kids move away from their house to play uh, major junior hockey, maybe by hundreds or even a couple thousand miles, 
and they live with sponsored families because they're underage, they're minors, but they're playing um, as an apprentice in, in the Western Hockey League or the OHL or the Quebec Major Junior League. Sure. And so um, they get very close to those families and they become sort of alternate members of the family. But also they go to school and they, and they play hockey. And the interesting thing about that is that um, when they get to the NHL, it's, unless they're 18, generally they don't put somebody into a, into a home like that I know that Mark Edward Vlasic also, when he was 18, lived with a family. Actually, he was 19, lived with a family um, for his first year. But these guys want to get out on their own a little bit. And uh, Jason's got a full year of professional um, uh, experience in Worcester, so he's already lived on his own. It's not that's not an issue for him. And I think he spends a lot of time with his teammates at their houses because that way he doesn't have to he doesn't have to either a go out to dinner or b cook. So trust me, there's a lot of interaction that goes on. Now, tomorrow, are you excited about the game? San Jose, Pittsburgh, 730, a great road team, Stanley Cup champion, Sidney Crosby, minus Jenny Malkin, against a great home team, San Jose. That's going to be a classic matchup, and me and my wife are looking for tickets. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic, and it's the toughest ticket in the NHL, I think, right now. It was the first game to sell out um, at HP Pavilion this year when the tickets went on sale. Yeah. And I have to say, um, you know what's, what's really crazy about it is that um, – there's no, there's no, there is Crosby, but there's no Malkin and there's no Gonchar on the on the other side. Sergey Gonchar is a top defenseman, but you know the Sharks are without Rob Blake. They've got no Setaguchi yet. There is a chance, I think, that either Joe Pavelski or Tori Mitchell could come back tomorrow. That'd be really exciting if it happens. Both those guys are getting closer. Pavelski, in my mind, is probably a little bit closer to being ready, but we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, they have the day off today after the long, you know the lengthy time on the road, so they're spending it with their families. And tomorrow morning, uh, they've got the pregame skate for Pittsburgh, so we'll find out a little bit more about who's in the lineup, but I have to say that this is one of the marquee matchups of the year, and it's a contrast in styles. You know, Pittsburgh went to Los Angeles last night, and I think they got a taste of how tough the Western Conference in the Pacific Division is, because they lost to the LA Kings 5-2. So, uh, that that really, in my mind, is is a, is going to be a motivator for Pittsburgh. They're going to be much better than that in this game against the Sharks, and so there will be a lot of drama. There'll be a lot of intensity. There'll be Joe Thornton against Sidney Crosby, Patrick Marlowe out there, um, you know, going up against Jordan Stahl, and, and and all of the other great matchups that occur in in the, in a game like this. And you know, we we saw the Sharks play Washington earlier in the season. It was a great game, and Washington won that game on that long road trip uh, with Alex Ovechkin getting thirteen shots on net, but it's, it's memories of games like that and these types of matchups that make a season, so I think that Saturday's game is one of the big ones. I think it's a big one, too, and thanks very much, Dan. You're a gentleman and you're a great ambassador for the sport. Always appreciate the time. Rob, it's always a pleasure to be on the air with you. Dan Rusinowski, listen to his broadcast 98.5, 7 o'clock, half an hour before the game starts on Saturday. He's exciting. He, he, he gets the images of hockey out there. It's a beautiful, beautiful sport on radio. Beautiful sport in person as well. It's the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Hmm. Looking around uh, the rumor mill on Wall Street, Google interested in Akamai. I don't think so. 
Volume is elevated in Akamai technology. A lot of rumors circulate on a day-by-day basis. Akamai does uh, some content software that makes video delivery faster. For instance, when we all watch the CBS March Madness basketball while we're at work, we're not supposed to, uh, they help set up the technology so that the video files can get there in a reasonable amount of time. I don't know if Google would need that. I understand Google's obviously in the big business of video and YouTube is very expensive on them. So there's some thought there. Procter & Gamble, interested in buying Clorox. That's another big rumor of the day. Yesterday, the rumor of the day was Procter & Gamble was going to buy Newell Rubbermaid. Pretty funny story on Newell Rubbermaid. Every year, Walmart makes their suppliers show them like their, their wares. Like, here's a hammer. And right next to them is the competitor's hammer. And right next to them is the other competitor's hammer. So Newell Rubbermaid makes little rubber stops for your sink. One year, Newell Rubbermaid got a little arrogant and said, well, we'll, we'll sell you those for 10 cents. And uh, Walmart said, nah, nah, you'll sell them to us for 8 cents. And Newell Rubbermaid said, no deal. So they didn't sell millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of little rubber stops because Walmart played hardball with them. Always dug Walmart in some weird, sick, fantastical kind of way. Let's talk about Cisco. Cisco did an interesting commentary yesterday. They come out with better than expected results, and they're really showing us that, that businesses are doing okay. I have to go on the Channel 4 News tonight at 5.30, and one of the things that I'm going to talk about is unemployment and how high it is, but in contrast with productivity numbers that are up high. Businesses are still doing business. I mean, we just came through a quarter that's coming in during the recessionary times, and we had a pretty good quarter as far as earnings go. Now, year over year, it was down. But the comparisons are pretty easy. We're not going to be at all-time highs on earnings every year. It's not going to happen. There's an ebb and flow that happens as long as there's a natural progression you feel comfortable with it. Upbeat outlooks so far on technology came from Apple, Microsoft, Intel, and Seagate. Cisco's commentary on tech spending was constructive, more so than IBM, Oracle, and SAP. It really depends on the product and where you are. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. Let's go to Larry in Oakland. Larry? Hi, Rob. Hello? Hello. Hi, Rob. Uh, Copper Mines in Kazakhstan. K-A-Z. Trades on the London Stock Exchange. Article in Barron's. Any thoughts? None whatsoever. Okay. So, sorry. When, when I don't know, I don't know. And I'm a fiduciary, and I'll be honest with you, and I'll never lie to you, and I'll never mislead you. Um, I know nothing about that one. And, you, you know, the trouble that you get in with that one is, do you really need that, Larry? Um, yeah, well, Some, like, maybe. <laughs> well, you're, you're looking for a copper mine. Why not own, you know, an easier play on copper? Yeah. You know, or an easier play on metals or why don't you buy the, the copper price itself through an exchange traded fund yeah. or commodities index. Okay. Um, I don't know if I would be buying. And again, to be honest with you, Larry, and, and just be honest with me, can you find Kazakhstan on a map? Uh, yeah, actually I can. You know, most Americans can't name all 50 states. So most Americans could only get about 40 states um, out of 50, just out of memory. And putting them on a map, most Americans can't find New York. 
I, I dated a girl in college who could only find three. <laughs> I think I dated her too. So <laughs> with that said, Larry, um, good luck on this. And um, my instinct says uh, that you don't need it and you're being too aggressive, but that's just me throwing a second voice in your head before you go out and do it. Thanks yeah. for the call. Um, 800-345-5639 to get your calls near. It's 800-345-5639. The world is filled with stupid people. Listen to this story. Marilyn Monroe crypt. Uh, this was from earlier in the weekend. I didn't quite get to it. Marilyn Monroe's final resting place. Widow Elsie Poncher is trying to sell her husband's crypt to pay off the mortgage on her Beverly Hills home. On selling the crypt, Poncher had planned to move her husband, who died in 1986, to an adjacent crypt intended for her. Thus, you can – he's on top of Marilyn Monroe right now. Thus, you can lay on top of Marilyn Monroe for the rest of your life. There was a $4.6 million bid through eBay that fell through when the unidentified bidder pulled out. A second auction on eBay where a reserve price was 500000 That failed. So if you can pony up 500000 you can be a sick F who gets to sleep on top of Marilyn Monroe forever the guy who won it on the ebay auction he said that he was going to turn himself upside down so he can stare eye to eye with her what's wrong with americans what's wrong with people 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air it's the rob black show i'll take a little bit of a break here when i come back i get more content for you 9 10 a.m more stimulating talk Couple of my favorite websites, financialtimes.com, ft.com, Wall Street Journal, WSJ.com. Those are the, probably the two biggies. I like the New York Times, NYTimes.com. I think if you read those three three uh, newspapers, you'll be so much better educated as far as investments, as far as retirement, as far as issues along those lines. Joe Mantana has put his house on the market for forty nine million dollars. Woohoo. Who's got that kind of money? wonder where he's going to live. Come live with me. Live in my basement. My, my crawl space. <laughs> I don't know. I think Joe would be a, a pleasant person to have in your crawl space. Ex-quarterback Sonoma Retreat goes on the market for $49 million. Whoa. Simple wouldn't it be the first word that comes to mind in describing the couple Sonoma Retreat set on 500 acres on a hilly forested expanse with year-round creeks and uninterrupted views. The couple's 9,700-square-foot Tuscan Villa-style house with a tower boasts the beer tap and many hidden flat-screen televisions. But what commands attentions are the baronial flourishes and details, many of them imported from Europe. Now, here's my opinion on this. What a waste of money. Why would anyone need a $49 million home? If I had that money, I still wouldn't spend it. Ooh, next week, guess who I'm going to have on the show? Republican candidate for governor, Tom Campbell. Gamer girl on Call of Duty. I don't know if I'm going to like her. I don't know if I'm going to like her. I'm going to give her a break. I'm going to give her a chance. Give gamer girl a chance. But I don't know. I like my games to be set up by men for some reason. Soccer star Joe Cannon, Kim Commando. we got a full show lined up for you next week. Anyone else find Hideki Matsui's MVP? That's a cool barrier that got crossed when the New York Yankees won the World Series this week. A Japanese-born player, a guy who could barely speak English, wins the World Series MVP. World Series all about, all about, you know, uh, baseball, apple pie, all the good things. I don't know. So, very American. And to see 
you know, Hideki Matsui win the, I mean, he deserved it. He was a great player. Interesting that he wasn't great enough that he could actually play in the National League ballparks because his knees are so old and wobbly that uh, he can't play outfield anymore. So he couldn't DH. National League doesn't have a DH. Starbucks, Chief Executive Officer Howard Schultz. He's shifting the coffee seller's focus from cost-cutting to growth, promoting new products. Have you tried that Via instant coffee? From what I'm hearing, people dig it. Future of the company is not based on cost takeout, so says Schultz. You can only cut so much cost. Good investment lesson here. You can only fire so many people. You can only shut down so many stores. And then you have to plan to expand. You have to distribute something new. Schultz is 56 years old. He's going to get into instant coffee, into the grocery stores and drug stores. I mentioned this yesterday, that if you go look at coffee, oddly enough, Starbucks is some of the cheapest coffee you can buy. Pete's coffee is very expensive. They've, they've upped their price as far as, you know, uh, for the bean, for the bean, 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 bean. Speaking of beans, I'm not allowed to say what I'm about to say, so I'll be quiet. Schultz is also bringing Seattle's best out from under the shadow of Starbucks, adding restaurant accounts such as Milford, Connecticut-based Subway. So Seattle's best coffee being added to Subway. Kind of get where you're going at with that. Uh, Starbucks bottom out. Um, the other big player here, Pete's Coffee, sitting at a 52-week high. They recently took out Dietrich Coffee. So John Reed. Who's John Reed? Let's talk about John Reed. John Reed's one of those people from Wall Street, who's sorry. He said, I'm sorry. This is kind of weird. He helped engineer the merger that created Citigroup. He apologized for his role in building a company that has taken $45 billion in direct U.S. aid and said banks that big should be divided into separate parts. He's 70 years old now, and he says, these are people I love and care about. You could imagine emotionally, it's not as easy to see what's happened. Citigroup was formed in 1998 when Citigroup was a commercial bank that combined with Sandy Wiles Travelers which owned the investment firm Solomon Smith Barney. Now, the New York-based company lost $27 billion in 2008. Congress overhauled the financial regulations, and that allowed you know banks to be, hold more capital, for banks to become brokers, for brokers to become insurance companies, insurance companies to become banks. And John Reed says, I would compartmentalize the industry for the same reason you compartmentalize ships, i.e. if you have a leak, the leak doesn't spread and sink the whole vessel. So generally speaking, you'd have consumer banking separate from trading bonds and equity. So Glass-Steagall was repealed. Lawmakers, he said, were wrong to repeal the Depression-era Glass-Steagall Act in 1999. Now, who was president in 1999? Bill Clinton. No one points a finger at him. No one points a finger at the Congress then and says, why did you ruin our country? There's no right answer. There was a lot of things that ruined our country. There was a lot of things that didn't ruin our country that severely hurt our country. I think that's the fairest way of saying that. Let's see if there's any other big stories I can get to in the last couple minutes. Um, A lot of conflicting stories coming out of Mexico, so I'm not going to hit that story. Oh, no, it's a little off Friday. That means I'm almost out of time. Let's see. Activision, their CEO, says Modern Warfare game may outsell top Hollywood movies. Modern Warfare 2 is supposed to have $500 million in sales in the first weekend. I'm all out of time, everybody. I love you people. You've been very good to me. I appreciate it. I'll be back next week. Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. It's Aloha Friday. No work till Monday. It's Aloha But it
This is Rob Black on 910 AM. It's a show primarily about money, but it's about a lot of other stuff, too. And if there's anything about it you don't like, it might be about your mama. Rob doesn't sell anything. He's not trying to get you to buy something. He's just telling you what he thinks. The decisions you make about your money are up to you. If you do something stupid, it's not his fault. And if you buy something and make a gajillion dollars from it, nice work, genius. It's Rob Black on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.